This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, friends and warriors, and welcome to the podcast. This is Tracy Eddy from Phoenix, Arizona, and I have Fran Yeager in Nashville, Tennessee. Good morning, Fran. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to introduce our, our guest today. She's an advocate, a writer, a speaker on topics dealing with negative emotions. She's a wife and mother to three children, and she's also a guest contributor for Bellator Society. She recently wrote a beautiful piece for us. For the ecumen, oh, <laughs> I haven't said it in a while. The ecumenism <laughs> series. Remember, it's like cumin. <laughs> the ecumenism series <laughs> about being a non-Catholic, being married to a pretty famous Catholic, and today she's here to talk to us about her new book that she just released this fall on the topic of shame, and the title is "The Awfulizer: Learning to Overcome the Shame Game." Good morning, Kristen. Good morning. Hi. So good to see you and talk to you today. You too. Very excited. Uh, So Kristen Marr, you're just Mm -hmm. so lovely. I have to say this before we jump in, because when we were doing our ecumenism series, I said it it right this time. Brian always Uh, says it right. It's me. We emailed you just kind of a a cold email because I had listened to um, a CD that your husband, Matt Marr, did for Lighthouse Media on ecumenism in general. And just his his experience of working in the music industry, especially the Christian music industry, which is, you know, widely ecumenical. I mean, he's one of the very few Catholics um, kind of in the the top tier of that scene, I I would say. And um, but the end part of his talk was so beautiful because it was about your relationship relationship, about how that experience of his career kind of prepared him for your um, relationship being interdenominational, right? Coming from mm-hmm. separate faith traditions. And it was such a beautiful um, testimony and witness to grace. And I thought immediately when we were planning this series, I know who would be really good, who have a, have a really good you know, contribution and perspective. And it was you. And so Thanks. we emailed you again, out of the blue, we had never met prior to that email. No, we had and not. I just, <laughs> and so first of all, thank you for responding to the email <laughs> out of the blue. You're welcome. <laughs> Super so kind. Gracious. And then second of all, just writing this beautiful piece, which we got such fantastic feedback um, from our readership about, you know, just how to deal when, when you, when you are in a marriage or in a close relationship, even with someone who comes from a, you know, a separate faith tradition and how to just make it work in charity, how to make Mm -hmm. it work in kindness and understanding. And so I would say that was our launch to get to know Kristen Marr Um, and just just your your sweet heart, your your kind heart and your open heart. And then um, you were very quickly uh, preparing. And I have to say this, you were writing a book and preparing to release a book and you wrote a blog for us. <laughs> Who does that? I know. In hindsight, you're even more gracious than, than we thought. <laughs> um, well, it's something that's close to our family's heart, obviously. And we've had, well, I have, I don't know about Matt. I'm sure Matt also, but myself, I've had a lot of people contact me 
I'm messaging on different social media accounts asking like, hey, I'm in a relationship. How do you make it work? Like you aren't the first people to ask me that question. So I have a lot of my responses already ready um, because a lot of people really struggle with it. And sometimes the people in their lives make it a very difficult relationship to be in, which is always surprising to me because one body, but uh, that's just my philosophy. Yeah, no, I loved it. We all loved it. And um, now you came out with a book this uh, fall. Was it August? August was your launch, I think? Yeah, and very end of August, like August 21st. Just in time for the school year. <laughs> Just in time for school. Gosh, what good timing. <laughs> it was intentional. Yeah, well, I can imagine so, and so so appropriate as well because I think that lots of our experiences with shame are derived, you know, very early on. Um, yes. You know, they start in school. They start as children, you know, with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends, with our classmates, teachers, all of those things. And again, your your book is the awfulizer and. Um, uh, my youngest and I went to your book reading. I think the day that it was Thank released, you. and you did such a good job reading it to everybody. Thank but you. I really liked one of the questions that you answered after um, the book reading, and it was, "What is basically what is shame? How do we tell the difference between um, shame or something like guilt or embarrassment?" And you, I mean, you had an answer prepared. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes, and I would say that I've gotten a lot of my training from my therapist and Brene Brown, but basically (laughs) the difference is that with guilt, which I think people often confuse shame with, when you make a mistake or you do something wrong, you think to yourself, oh, I made a mistake, I did an action that was wrong. If I fix this mistake or if I apologize, I can move forward, everything is fine. You feel guilty about the action, whereas with shame, if you do something wrong, your thoughts aren't that you made a mistake. It's that I am a mistake. I might not do that again, but I'm still broken on the inside. So maybe I'll change my behavior. Maybe I won't. It doesn't really make a difference mm-hmm. um, because you believe the fundamental problem isn't an action. It's yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really so, good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So guilt is good because you want to have a moral compass, but, (laughs) but shame is not like you can't think you're a whole person every time you make a mistake because we make mistakes. We are flawed beings. Yeah. And, and I would say a follow-up to that is why did you start with shame? Because again, you know, just being in therapy yourself, any of us who have done any work in trying to become a better human being, we realize that that's never just one thing. Like oftentimes it's a constellation of, of wounds, of brokenness, of, you know, things that affect our behavior that are within and outside of our control. Um, Why did you start specifically with shame? For me, it's my personal main motivator and my the main cross I've had to bear my entire life, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one that you don't realize you're carrying a lot of times because you believe inherently that you're bad and that you're that you're making these mistakes, not because you're trying to prove this awful theory about yourself, but because you're broken and you're bad. And so when I realized how much shame has impacted my life and my decision making and just um, where I put myself and who I put myself around, Mm -hmm. I realized that it's kind of sneaky and subtle and it gets a lot of its power from being in the dark and making you feel like you're the worst, that you're the only one who struggles with these type of things and that you're bad. And the thing is, we all have a little bit of shame that we deal with. And once you bring it into the light, it loses all of its power. Yeah. So... 
writing a book about it, normalizing it. I'm hoping people don't have to hide in the dark like I did for 30 some years, um, thinking they're alone. Yeah. And this, this reminds me so much of the blog you just wrote of Uh, healing the seven, seven wounds. And and like you said, knowing, um, kind of working on what you know Mm -hmm. is kind of your cross and what you know is something that you struggle with and how you make your decisions and how it affects your relationships and, you know, kind of everything you do. So this is, it's almost like the children's version of your blog that you just wrote too. So I, I love that. Yeah, I was thinking, so I love that, that you were saying everybody has um, things that they deal with and your primary one is shame. And I'm wondering, because as I was thinking about like, um, like this, the blog that I wrote, Kristen, um, Mm -hmm. was kind of a um, comparison of the seven deadly sins with something that's um, packaged as like the seven deadly wounds um, and and how they both uh, just manifest in our, in our brokenness and our tendencies to, to hurt others or just, just, you know, be in this cycle of sinfulness. And, and, um, it is often said like in theology that kind of pride is the mother of all of the other, you know, vices Mm -hmm. that it's pride that, that, you know, leads us to anger or even to envy or to even gluttony and, you know, even kind of the more, the more base of the sins. Um, but in terms of the seven deadly wounds, I wonder if, shame is sort of the mother of the rest of them because, you know, it's shame that leads us to, to fear. It's shame that leads us to, um, to, you know, all of the other wounds that, that we need to address, but it's kind of like at the heart of all of them. Do you think that, do you think that shame kind of is a, is a, is, is just like maybe a primary, I mean, I'm saying wound, there might be a better, I mean, emotion, like negative emotion might be a more like secular, better term, umbrella term that people would understand. Do you think like shame is something that everybody deals with? Or do you think that it's more prevalent in some people? I feel personally, I feel like everyone deals with shame. I just think some people are more resilient against it and handle it better and can process shame better Mm -hmm. than others. And so someone who's more shame resilient can go into guilt and be like, no, it wasn't me. Your first instinct might be shame, but you're like, no, that was an action that doesn't define me. I can move forward. If you're more prone to the shame thinking, you can't bridge the gap into that Mm -hmm. guilt. You stay Mm -hmm. in your dark and then it leads you to be fearful. What if people find out about this? What if people know that I'm bad? Um, It might lead you to anger because you're trying to protect yourself. Um, and lash out when people are like triggering your shame. Yeah. Uh, I find a lot of times anger does come from like shame triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I feel like sh- it's almost like a, a, like a chain that can link. Yeah. Abandonment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's so many other things fall when, when there's this fog of shame or this, this sense of unworthiness, um, for sure. What does shame feel like to you in, in your body? For me, as I just had a shame attack last night, (laughs) uh, it's a lot for me. It's a lot in my gut. It's a lot of stomach, just icky clenching and just like deep dread of like, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe um, who does that type of thing. You're the only one who does that. You're a terrible mom. In this instance, it was mom shame because like, <laughs> welcome that a lot. <laughs> so and so never would have said that to their kid. Yeah. They're so much happier all the time. You used to be a fun mom. Why are you so 
any, you know, it can go on and on and on and on. And so for me, it's a lot in my stomach, um, makes me grind my teeth at night. Yeah. So then I wake up with headaches. Yeah. Um, and just a dis- discontent. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to explain that to my son. I was talking about shame. I was like, we could talk about shame tomorrow. <laughs> what do you know about shame? With my 13-year-old on the way home from swim practice yesterday. And we were talking about this. I was like, it's kind of the difference between, like, if you're embarrassed about something, it's like a flush of heat for me. Like, when I do something stupid or foolish or just, you know, just something I shouldn't have done. Like, I feel like an immediate like rush of heat, but it's mostly like in my head and it can dissipate really fast, you know, mm-hmm. but shame, like the, the if, it, can, it can even be the same thing. Like, it, but when it, when it manifests as shame, just as you said, like it, it's in my stomach, I feel like I want to throw up. I feel like I, I had never really thought about the grinding teeth, head pounding thing, but it is almost like it's, it's beating you up in your head from the out, from the inside, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you just can't like stop it and you just can't you can't stop thinking about the thing yeah it's it just torments you yeah there's a for me there's a definite difference between whether I'm embarrassed about something or whether like it's just the shit just ashamed and it's just oppression yeah it's kind of crazy because I've never really thought about it this much and now that you're saying this I'm like ooh, that's I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know exactly what you're saying. I've never probably articulated it or, and I think probably a lot of people, like you say, who are maybe shame resilient, they might not know what they're feeling or they might not be able to articulate it. But, mm-hmm. um, as we're talking about it, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, I wake up every morning with <laughs> clenching my teeth all night. <laughs> um, but I think it's also good for I love that you just said that you were talking with your 13 year old because this is such a good topic to talk to our kids about. Yeah. Um, and I love that it's obviously a children's book. So it does open up the conversation um, to talk to your kids about, about this topic. Cause I, I would, I would not have been able to articulate probably what I feel sometimes as, as maybe shame. Mm-hmm. And it probably mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. So Kristen, what would you say is, would be your, your biggest, or maybe your top two biggest takeaways from the book for kids? Like what are, what do you, what do you teach your own kids in terms of dealing with shame, like on, on the front end? Well, I feel like each of my kids kind of reacts to shame differently. So they each kind of have a targeted message towards them. Um, But the biggest thing I try to tell them is to talk about it. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling bad, let's talk about it. You don't have to feel this way alone. You mm-hmm. can share it. Um, that's the message we really try to enforce because the subject matter and the instances are going to change as they yeah. grow. But if they know that they can talk to us about it and we're going to take it seriously. So you're taking when Tommy steals my pencil and it hurt my feelings as seriously as when it's Tommy broke my heart and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, starting early on, creating a place of trust and you can talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because my kids are all second grade and under. So sometimes mm-hmm. you want to be like, oh, that's not a big deal. And catching myself when I say that and be like, but I know it's important to you. And I'm sorry I said that because we slip. And so... Yeah. I just try to reiterate that talking, but like my oldest, he hides when he feels shame. Yeah. And at this age, it's a very obvious hood up, 
go in my room, hide under my covers. You, I don't want you looking at me. Mm-hmm. And so a big thing I have to say with him is we don't hide when we make mistakes. It's okay yeah. to make a mistake. You just have to say you're sorry. You don't have to hide yourself. Because um, that's what shame does. It tells yes. you you have to hide. You're bad. Don't let anyone see this part of you. And I don't want him to have that thought in his head. So the, every time I see him do it, I stop him. Sometimes I'm kind of aggressive about it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> don't hide. You yes. don't have to hide. Yeah. And so... We just had the same situation. We have a kid who, whenever he would be corrected, um, would, again, just as you said, like, go away, like, like retreat, go someplace by himself. And for a while, I was like, okay, we all need a breather. Like, that probably is good. <laughs> that was pretty intense. But we've just recently been doing kind of the same thing. Like, we'll call him back down and be like, sit with us. And it, it comes from this idea of like when it, when it's shame or when it's any any of that any of the woundedness, you do have to sit with it. Like you can't resist it. You can't say it doesn't exist because just as I mean, like you, if you if you resist it, then that does lead you to hide hide from it. But if you're sitting with it, then you have to address it. You can't yeah. like it, it's not the blinders aren't up. Like yeah, it's really weird. We just had this this big blow up and it feels weird. <laughs> like I actually don't want to. <laughs> hug you but mm-hmm. I have to hug you you know I have mm-hmm. we have to talk about this I actually don't want to talk to you because I've been yelling at you but now I have to apologize to you and actually have a normal person conversation about it and yeah. that's so hard and I think that we have to do that with ourselves too you know to sit with the the ick and I mean not not sit and wallow in it but sit with it so that we can actually like identify it um, when I would prefer to not think about it, or to, I would actually prefer to say, yeah, I don't really struggle with shame very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so prevalent, which y'all are just talking about in, um, trauma informed, you know, families, families who have children from, with traumatic backgrounds, which we do. And, um, and so a lot that we learned and I'll say, just like you said, Fran, when we were going through our training to adopt our children, we were kind of like, oh, this is such like hokey pokey, whatever, you know, like, give me a break. But it's so true. And it's so true how the brain deals with shame and trauma and how it does kind of rewire your brain. And just the same thing, the the last thing you want to do is sit with a kid that you just had (laughs) trouble with. And, but how important it is to not send that person away because that's what the brain tells them is I'm not good enough. I'm not Mm -hmm. loved. I'm not, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm broken. Um, and so bringing that child back and, and kind of redoing the Mm -hmm. situation and doing it better is, is what we're taught. But, um, I love, I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're on to science. (laughs) (laughs) I think too, that, that Kristen, your book, um, does a really good job of, Because I do think that I do have at least one other kid who probably doesn't struggle with shame as much as, and and I could be wrong, like I may not have have tapped the well yet, but I don't think that that his struggle is so much um, shame. But I think that this book 
helps people who maybe don't have the same experience, maybe even the same traumatic experience of shame, um, understand what it could feel like in a in a um, in a narrative form. You know, that um, it gives it gives language to um, a feeling that people might not automatically recognize. And you did a really good job of that. What has been your feedback from? Because I know that you 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 bring this book to schools, you bring this book yes. to groups of children. What has been your feedback from the kids? Um, well, I always ask the kids what their awfulizer looks like because mm-hmm. I say everyone's awfulizer is different. And so it's all the kids raise their hands. They have an idea and they, it's surprising how many kids can relate to the idea of like a voice in your head telling yourself yeah. that you're not good enough or that you're bad because you made a mistake. And so just getting them and then they see everybody else's hands up and it's kind of an eye opening mm-hmm. or there's certain parts of the story that when I'm reading it, the kids start nodding and you're seeing it in like the second grade classroom, like which is where I just read one. And it's kind of, it's sad a little bit because you don't want to think of your kids having to struggle with this, but it's also hopeful because already at this age, they're learning, they're not alone. It's so common. It's in a book. Yeah. So where, where did you get the title awfulizer? Cause I'm, I'm picking up that, that you you're using it as, kind of a trigger to some, like, like, what is your awfulizer? How did you get that title? Um, I was in a group therapy. I am in a group. I go to personal therapy and I go to group therapy and we're a group of women and it's specifically with shame. And so when one woman went up to do her work, we, which is when we act out certain scenarios or thoughts that someone's having and we get put into roles so the person can move us around and like go in and out of different roles and she was listing all these characteristics. And I was like, I'll be the awfulizer. And I was like, well, that's kind of a great <laughs> name for shame because it makes you it makes you feel awful. It makes you oh, feel yeah. awful about yourself. It makes your body feel awful. Mm-hmm. And so my therapist is like, you should write a kid's book about that. And I go, <laughs> I, I really should write a kid's book about that. And so I did. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Did. I love that. Yeah, what a great story. I yeah. love so that you. Go ahead, Tracy. I was just going to say, so the title came before the book. Yes. That's, that's the character came. Yeah. I love too in your book. um, So we've already kind of talked about, uh, you know, talking, bringing it to light, you know, bringing that, that those feelings to light, telling someone about them, talking about them so that this, so that secrecy doesn't, you know, feed the awfulizer basically. But then I think your second point um, comes very quickly after that. And it's start thinking of your goodness, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that, um, well, it, it's a little hard. It's, it's a little tricky for the Christian, because if we are supposed to be introspective, if we're supposed to be you know, examining ourselves, obviously we're imperfect. Obviously, we're sinful human beings. And so it's so easy to start naming all of the bad things, all the things that need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And for me, and this might just be me, actually, it, this might not be everyone's experience, but it's harder for me to set and think about all, all of the really good things about me. Like it feels, that feels weird. Um, but if that is a way to combat the awfulizer, I think that's something that we need to kind of coach our children in, um, in humility. Cause I mean, obviously we don't want them to get bloated right. <laughs> you know, visions of themselves. But, um, I mean, do you have any advice in that regard? Tell me what the therapist said we should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually that comes from, my own journey in shame healing. So I, before I went to a therapist, 
one of the ways that I would get myself, because shame would put me into depression, was I would start journals and I would make myself write five good things that happened to me every day just to kind of switch my perspective to constantly thinking about the bad. And so it wasn't even about myself at the beginning. It was just... I had ice cream today. I got an A on the test. I went for a walk. It was nice out. Anything to kind of turn myself from constantly looking in at myself, but to look out. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's funny you mentioned the bloated head parts because when I was first writing this, I have a friend who lives in Arizona who's a therapist, and she was saying how you have to be careful because perfectionism can slip in with shame. And then you're basing your worth off of your merit. So it's important that it's not just I'm good because I'm funny. I'm good because I play soccer because all those things could go away. It's I'm good because I'm breathing. I'm good because I'm here. Um, You have to have for every good thing they're listing about stuff they do. Like I'm brave. I'm strong. I'm smart. But also I'm made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. I am. I can breathe. I have two hands. I have two feet and I can feel the earth below me. And that makes me good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's important when you're listing those things to make it not just be merits or a checklist. Okay. If I've done this, have I done this? Have I done this? Okay. I can be loved today <laughs> because it can slip in there really easy. <laughs> oh, it's so slippery. <laughs> um, when you mentioned that you're kind of, um, I don't know if this was your entree or just a way that, that, that you realized that you were struggling with shame was this sense of depression. I totally identify with that. And um, as I was kind of studying about shame, you know, a lot of times for children, it's manifest in, you know, um, isolating behaviors, or um, we notice that they're, you know, lonely, or just questioning self-worth in, 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 in little ways, like, mm-hmm. um, oh, man, I'm so stupid, you know, and yeah. I say that, I mean, I say, I don't really think I'm stupid, but right. but those little things are very insidious, and just as you said, slippery, but for adults, it can be things like, depression. It can be, you know, unmanaged anger or addictive behaviors or or things like that. And so I was for a long time, I mean, I don't know that I struggle like greatly with any of those things, but somebody said something once when they were talking about shame that I was like, crap, I guess I do have (laughs) shame. And it was the sense of um, being suspicious of compliments Oh, this was something that like pierced my heart like nothing else because it was so true that um, when when I'm complimented, my next thought is, well, what do you want from me? You know, what do you what? You know, it's not because I, I appreciated any sort of inherent goodness, but rather I really always have that perfectionist streak of I got to perform to be liked. And mm-hmm. if I don't perform well, then I have no worth. And that is where the shame just just kind of washes over. And I never named it. Like, mm-hmm. I never really knew that that was it. So I wasn't looking for ways to combat shame. I was looking for ways to combat perfectionism in a way. But that wasn't really, like, the root of the problem. Right. So I think finding the root of the shame, or at least how it's manifest in you, it might not be addictive behaviors. It might not be isolation, but maybe it is like kind of recoiling when somebody says something nice about you because you're like, oh, that doesn't sit well for whatever reason. There's There's no way it could be sincere. Yeah. Yeah. People could, you can never really think I'm that smart or I cook that well or yeah. 
Because you don't really what, know fill me. Fill in the blank. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. If Man. you knew the real me, you wouldn't be this impressed yeah. or you yeah. wouldn't be, you know, fill in the blank. Shame is it's, an awful, awful, terrible, ugly thing. It really <laughs> is. So what is the age range for this book? Um, because, Fran, you said you were talking to your 13-year-old about mm-hmm. it. My youngest is 11, and, and my older ones are, you know, in high school. But is, is this a book? It seems like it's at least a good book to start the conversation with your children. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if the the darling graphics and the really cute um, character and everything of the book is maybe geared towards younger kids, have you seen people or do you know people who have used this for older children? Well, I know a lot of parents who, as they're reading it, are like, oh, and kind of a light bulb will go on for them. And then I've talked in the past with some youth groups of like high schoolers. I'm actually going to be speaking with a youth group next week about it, about the book and the topic and using the story. And it actually resonates really well with them as well. And I think... You kind of have to joke and be cool and be like, <laughs> I'm going to read you this book I wrote. <laughs> and wear but your skinniest also, jeans you got. <laughs> but also listen to the story I'm about to tell you. Yeah. 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 And I think that too, I mean, the book is such a beautiful resource and so helpful. And I encourage everyone go to the offalizer.com or dot com is one, is one way to, to find out where to buy it. But I bought mine on Amazon. Is that okay? Yeah. Amazon <laughs> target. Um, I'm about to launch my own stores for the holiday season where you can get an awesomeizer cape and a book. So it'll be a bundle. Oh, and so that will be, that's going to be up. It's actually up right now. But um, you can also get it at Barnes and Noble online, Target online, Amazon, lots of places. Well, I also wanted to say in that regard, um, if you go to awfulizerbook.com, you also have a beautiful blog and, and kind of, you don't just write for children. You do write for everybody. And I think your blog is testament to that, that you really do have um, a a myriad of, of insight um, about shame and just about, you know, dealing with things that we, that we all deal with. Also your Instagram, like (laughs) your target run Instagram that you did, oh. was it like a week or so ago where you're talking about, you know, that, that mom shame that, yeah. that we all deal with that. Um, and then you wrote a really fantastic um, blog on it as well about, I think you wrote, yes, you did about how, you know, <laughs> well, I think I wrote a quote, um, that, that you're not so much worried about your kids failing, but you're more worried about, um, what your kid failing says about your parenting. Oh, yeah. 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 Parent teacher conferences just happened. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I catch myself like, I mean, I don't check her homework because I, you know, I want her to, I want her to learn how to do things on her own. Right. Because I'm like, you know that, but sometimes I do check her homework and she still misses a couple. So I'm like, (laughs) but I blame it on her. That's hard. hard. You know, no, grammar's hard. Yeah, I can't do that either. <laughs> grammar's hard. I was telling, I think I talked about this on the blog once, but there was a mom, I think it was last year, and I was lamenting something. Probably my store-bought cookies. I'm not real sure what it was. But she said, she just looked at me and she said, Tracy, I have founded and I'm the president of the world's most okay mom club. And you are more than welcome. You need to be okay with being okay. And I'm like, 
do you need to join your club? She was like, I'm taking applications and it's okay. But what if I'm not good enough to be in that club? (laughs) (laughs) Most okay mom in the world is okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I thought that was a kind of a fun message, but it made me like, just, just exhale a little bit. Like, you know, the store-bought cookies are going to be fine. The kids are going to eat them and um, they're not packaged as cute and, and whatnot, but it is what it is. At least you brought cookies. That's right. And I was there. Yeah. Cookies make lots of things better, which is probably a problem. (laughs) (laughs) But, but again, back to your blog, you also talk about dad shame or actually your husband, Matt Marr wrote, um, you wrote a joint piece on um, dad shame, which I thought was so beautiful and poignant and, um, and helpful, helpful for me in distinguishing between like the ways in which I experience shame and then kind of opening my eyes to not everybody has that same problem. And yet it's still shame. It still feels the same way, but it's maybe based on something more in line for, for men. And this might not be all men, but for men, things like, um, not being strong enough or not being successful enough. Mm -hmm. Um, when, you know what, I don't care if anybody sees me lift something or, you know, make it, you know, have my name in, in lights or, you know, published, but I do care, but, but I care more about the, the, the little detaily things, you know, and I think that's a big difference, um, from at least, at least, I mean, I don't want to be too, you know, gender oriented, but like men and women are different. And this, this is a way in which we might be different, you know, the ways yes. in which we experience shame. And I thought that that particular, um, blog piece that you wrote on your um, website was fantastic in that regard. Um, so even talking to, you know, teenagers, men, women, like there's something for everybody. Um, what do you want to tell people is like the best first step in combating shame? I think, well, the first step is recognizing that is what is motivating you. I think Mm -hmm. it's a pretty subtle and a lot of times you don't recognize what that voice is. Mm -hmm. So the first step is being like, Oh, I'm feeling shame about this. And then it's, well, why am I feeling shame about this? Mm -hmm. But recognizing it and then recognizing the fact that you're not alone in hearing that voice that, Mm -hmm. and I think that can be very powerful. That's one of the most powerful parts about my group is when someone is like, I keep struggling with X and everyone is like me too. And we're all, every time we're shocked that someone else feels the same way we do because I thought that voice was just talking to me right because that's what that voice is saying is you are the only one who's struggling you're the only mom who feels bad for bringing in store-bought cookies or you're the only mom who didn't make gluten-free dairy-free peanut-free from scratch turn your own tasty air goat butter cookies um goat butter (laughs) so I think those are the two things is one, recognizing that that's what it is. And two, recognizing that you are not alone and struggling with that because that's the first step in walking out of the darkness of it. Mm-hmm. The shadow it casts. Yeah. A shadow. I think you have, I think well, you, you have three children. I have three children. Frank has four. And I think we're probably all in agreement that each of our kids is going to deal with things differently. And, and like you said, some are more shame resilient. Some will maybe go hide, whatever the case may be. But how do you teach your children to, um, you know, be empathetic towards each other and, and like even their classmates, but when a sibling is maybe having one of these, um, 
you know, situations or one of these episodes where they're really feeling bad about themselves for whatever reason, how, how do you teach and how would you encourage parents to, to kind of, um, help their other children be, be a, an encourager and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Cause my kids sometimes pile on each other. Oh, <laughs> like I they know. see one down and it's like, Oh, we're all <laughs> going to step on you. And I'm like, y'all give each other a break. Like show some mercy, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously that's a place I could do better in my parenting, but how, how do you handle that? Uh, well for us, as it's been coming up, I try to pull the one cause my youngest is three. So he, will just like physically kick you, but he doesn't know how to verbally <laughs> kick you yet. Right. Um, so I pull the one away that's starting it and I'm like, Hey, let's think about how, what you're saying, if they were saying it back to you, how would that feel? And they're yeah. like, not good. I'm like, right. Mm-hmm. Let's think. And then if I can think of one, I'm like, remember when this happened, how would you feel if this one had said those things to you when, when you were doing this, mm-hmm. not, not good. And so sometimes that helps. Sometimes it doesn't. I feel like it's just a constant conversation because that's a a learned behavior. And right. I think that's something we have to just keep reinforcing whenever we can. And it's hard to catch it all the time. And it's mm-hmm. hard to have the bandwidth to, to handle it in a good way because right. a lot of times it's happening at the worst possible moment when you're trying <laughs> to get out the door because you're 20 minutes late to someone's something. And all you want to do is just shout and which I do I'm like get in the car where Good, are your too. shoes I do that too <laughs> um so sometimes it just means on the way back being like hey remember when this happened I try to I've been trying to be more intentional about that and that unfortunately a lot of times it happens when I'm falling asleep in bed I'm like oh you know what I should say tomorrow this is the perfect thing I'm 50 50 oh, for following through with it <laughs> But I figure 50% of the time of following through the next day and having a conversation is better than none times. Um, because it's parenting is an emotional journey. And one of the things my shame tells me is that I have to be this perfect, balanced, peaceful mom at all times. And it's just I think physically impossible if (laughs) if someone can do it please write the book because I will read it so knowing coming back and being like hey I'm sorry mommy was very overwhelmed at that moment and I didn't handle that well let's talk about what happened because I would like to yeah so or like even if I am feeling overwhelmed after I've just screamed at everybody to get in the car because we're going to be late for school being like, hey, guys, will you guys just breathe with me? I need to just calm down. I'm feeling really overwhelmed and trying to model it with my behavior. That's a good idea. Because a lot of times we are quick to want our kids to do to be good and to have all these great habits. But then they were watching us and we don't have any of those habits. And so wanting right. my like I was just talking to a friend of mine about the importance of like self-care. And taking time out and not feeling selfish about it, but how it's so hard because you can't help but be like, oh, I could have been doing this, this, or I could have made cookies instead of getting my hair done. <laughs> um, but growing up, if your kids always see you putting yourself on the back burner, back burner, back burner, it doesn't matter how many times you're like, oh, you should go and take some time and do this for yourself. As an adult, they won't be able to do it because 
We didn't do it. My parents didn't do it. It's something I struggle with. And so a lot of times, sometimes the only thing that motivates me to be like, no, I'm going to go into the coffee shop and I'm going to work on my book. I'm going to work on my blog is because I want my kids to be able to know that it's important and see me model it in my own life. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, it's kind of a long-winded answer. Totally but do. No, I think it does. You know, we like I've got all girls, and so teenage girls are not very nice all the time. And so, you know, we may have a situation at school, and then the kids come home, and I really try and, like, really encourage the girls to be each other's cheerleader. But, like, my older two are two years apart, which means, you know, they are either totally locking horns or they're inseparable, which but yes. they're at the age where they're kind of locking horns a lot right now. Um, but I'm always like, you are – the only, I mean, you're the, y'all are going to be together forever. So mm-hmm. family needs to stick together. You know, you need to, um, not pile on whoever maybe had a bad day. I said the other day, like your sister had a bad day today. Can you just be a little gentler with her? And she said, we all had a bad day today. And I'm like, well then be gentle with each other. You know, like, um, don't take it out on each other. But I think I need to probably come up with some other tips of how we can all calm down together. Like we can mm-hmm. all do some breathing and, um, you know, calm our tempers and stuff so that we can, um, treat each other how we, we want them to be treated when they're at school and how we want them to treat other people at school. Right. Yeah. I love it. I think that, I think that shame, Shame. I think that too, a lot of, um, a lot of help for me, um, in working, um, working out like shame and its processes, um, uh, for me was this idea of, and kind of tying two of your thoughts together, um, Kristen, that number one, apologizing to your children, or at least having that sense of, um, reconciliation after a a blow up so that the shame, that, that, that shadow of shame doesn't just like sit on them. Um, but then, um, the, the tie-in for me was, uh, uh, what do you do when you're an adult and, you know, you have still those those feelings or those um, those echoes of the shame that you felt as a child when you were, when you didn't have those those reconciliations, when you didn't. And one thing that was super helpful was um, an exercise of going to yourself as a child, like mm-hmm. going to the room, going to the, the, the classroom setting, going to what to wherever it was and and being the adult in the situation that wasn't there when you needed it as a child. And oh my gosh, that's such hard work, but mm-hmm. it opens your mind to like, I I needed that to be resolved. I needed that to be recollected and, 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 and fixed in a way. Um, and, and if you can do that for yourself as an adult, then you can see how, how helpful it is for you to do that as your child, for your child, even if it's a day late, you know, cause if it works for you and it does work, I mean, it is hard mm-hmm. It is hard stuff, but it, if it does work for you as an adult to go back, you know, 20 years and, and meet that little kid that was you and apologize to that little kid as the adult in the room, think about what that does for your own children right. again the next day or a week later or whatever. So, yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. And my thoughts usually do come like when the lights go out and I'm like, oh, <laughs> so All my best to thank do you. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I feel like we could talk about shame forever and ever, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) It does seem to be very popular right now. I do feel like a lot of women I know, a lot of friends, um, a lot of women's conferences, a lot of blogs 
focus on this. So obviously there's a need and I think it's so genius that you've um, written this book for children because it's usually when we're adults that we kind of go back and try and unpackage the hurt and the, and, right. and figure out why we are struggling with this, where if you can kind of nip it in the bud and really address it at such a young age, um, we have just healthier children and healthier adults, yes, you know, eventually. So love it. Love it. So we usually end our podcasts with our last little bits because Tracy and I are friends in real life and we can never hang up the telephone. Or when we do hang up the telephone, then we're texting like, I forgot to tell you this thing. Remind me. (laughs) (laughs) So we usually just have like one last little thing and it oftentimes has nothing to do with shame or anything that we've talked about on whatever podcast it is. Um, Tracy, do do we want to rock, paper, scissors this? What do you want to do? Let's do do it. First. Okay. Um, Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. So you cover you me? I cover Paper you. beats rock. Okay. All so right. Covering Brian, you. So does that mean I go first? Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> is that is that winning? I don't know. I know. That's <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what is winning? What is losing here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. My last little bit is a super funny thing that happened this week. Now, but this funny thing is like a two-year process of confusion and, and intrigue. So... I guess about two years ago, maybe it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, I can't remember, I got a random text from somebody who knew my family, who obviously knew who I was, obviously had my telephone number, and was like, Franchelle, greetings to you for Christmas or something to that effect. Hope the Jaeger fam is doing well. And I didn't have the telephone number in my phone, and so as I do when these things happen... Number one, I feel ashamed that I don't have the telephone number and yes, because that's <laughs> that's a real feeling. And so I respond as graciously as I can. I say, you know, I'm so sorry. Thank you. But I don't have this number saved in my phone. Who is this? And the person got super cheeky and started to get a little like, you don't know who I am, you know, and, and would sometimes talk in the voice of Jesus, would sometimes talk <laughs> in the voice of like a saint. And then the, the text started coming like more regularly, like toward, usually towards like a holiday or something like that. And it would just be a greeting, not threatening, just a greeting. Hello. And every single time I would say, thank you so much. Who is this? I don't have this number saved in my phone. And every single time it got a little weird. So about a year ago, so about a year ago, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that, that I'm going to be real smart. And so a friend of mine who has access to like one of those reverse telephone databases, yeah. I sent her, I sent the telephone number to him and I was like, could you just tell me if, if like who shows up for this telephone number? And so they sent me back a list of names and I was like, yeah, I don't know any of those people. So the mystery goes on. <laughs> so last week it came again and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with a holiday. So that was a little bit weird. So it kind of t- took me off guard. And, um, but they said in the text, I've been praying for you in my daily prayers. And I was like, daily prayers. So lots of people probably say, oh, it was daytime prayers. I'm sorry, that was the word. And it was capitalized daytime prayers. I'm like, this sounds a lot like the the office of readings. This sounds like something maybe that a priest would do. So I knew which tree to bark up. And I found out that the person who has been punking me for two years <laughs> is a priest. <laughs> and he should be ashamed. <laughs> And he's not. No, he's pretty proud. He's so proud. <laughs> oh. He's ashamed that you figured it out so quickly. <laughs> two he's years. Like, this could have gone on for years and years. <laughs> two whole years. 
Uh, that did. is That's awesome. my last little bit. I had victory. And I'm Yay. Like, oh, shame that I can't figure this out anymore. Yeah. Do, do you have them um, plugged into your phone now? Now I do. First, yeah. middle, last. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's and, I, and I got to think of some retribution. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> Okay, my last little bit is really just an informative um, announcement that Fran and I are taking the Bellator Society on the road. We're doing our first talk, which Fran is a gifted, talented speaker. I am not at all. And so this is going to be interesting, but we're giving a talk um, in at the in the Archdiocese of Denver at um, St. Thomas More Catholic Church for their Advent by Candlelight. So they've asked us to come speak about um, Advent and kind of how you prepare for Advent. And we're doing sort of a Marian model for Advent. Um, and so we're so excited. So I will see you in less than a week. I'll see you in less than a week. And y'all pray. This Please. is going to come out before we get the talk. Please pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I choke quickly sometimes. So. <laughs> that's not true. You're actually really good at ad libbing. So oh, that's I think all I do. <laughs> you'll be fine. But y'all pray for us. We definitely need um again, we just need the Holy Spirit to guide us and say the words that need to be said. But Kristen, yes. do you have any last little bit that you would like to share with us? Anything on your heart, on your mind, something that we need to know about? I will say this actually, can I have one more last little bit? Sure. How it Kristen goes. Kristen Marr turned me on to the donuts that have my heart. Did I tell you this? After you no. told me about Magaz donuts, oh, I went so like, I didn't know that these existed in the world. And now every time I'm in that direction, I buy them. So she does have tips. Do you have I a know tip many for things. <laughs> I know many things. Um, well, I don't know if this is a tip or a shameless promotional plug, but my husband just had a new EP drop that's awesome. So he's been doing, instead of a traditional album, he's doing uh, random EP drops, which are just two live songs and one new song. And so the third one just got released and The Lord of My Life is an excellent song and it's really good. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. What's an EP, by the way? An EP means it's, um, I don't know what the official (laughs) term is and he's going to yell at me for not knowing this. (laughs) But just for me, it's like, not a full album, so it's yeah, like four, just like a four songs or cluster. Yeah, just okay. a little short release. Awesome, so songs or less. But yeah, we and also go the best tip I can give you that is also a shameless plug is if you're getting ready for the Advent season, you have to listen to his Advent album because a hundred percent. Yes, my favorite album he's ever done because it plays like a playlist, and so that it's not just all one sound. And we've already started listening to it which I try not to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, but it might November 1st, November 1st, legit. If Hobby Lobby can do it, we can too. Totally, totally. We're going to listen to it. And can we download this on our Spotify account? You can. All right. Check out Bellator Spotify. We're going to have all these new songs today. Thank you, Kristen Marr. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. This was fun. So good to talk to you. you so too. good to talk to you. Take care. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium. 
the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.